0: today. Brain
1: fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Uh, what
2: was your reaction to Steve Cohen's tweet this morning? Uh, well, yeah, I, I, am aware. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a Twitter guy, but I, I I'm aware of the, uh, of the tweet uh, from Steve. Uh, and hey, listen, you know, we're working really hard every day. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to find our way uh, uh, to win some games. And, you know, we have this game today against the Giants again, who's one of the best teams in baseball right now. And, uh, you know, we're working hard and, you know his reference to uh, to our offense is one of the areas that we're working really hard on, to improve on, and um, and every day we want to improve our approach. We share how our approach uh, is intended to be. Uh, he hasn't been there the whole uh, season consistently, so you know getting on base, slugging um, some balls is something that we haven't done as much, and but we, we we're working on doing it right, and uh, we have guys that have done it in the past, and we feel that they they can they can still do it, right, this season. So we're working really hard and, you know, we're expecting the guys to come in today and have that going. So, you know, that's, that's my reaction to it. It's just, uh, you know, it, it's what's happening um, right now to us. It's one of the areas, like I said. So, you know, we just, we're just working hard. Do
0: you think Steve's tweet the other day sent a message?
3: The message to To, 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 to the fans or to, to the, the players? players? We've been getting that message the whole year. You know, okay. we we haven't really hit all year long. I haven't performed. No, I haven't done it. I haven't. I just, I just. Bottom line, I haven't done what I'm here to do. When it comes to the offensive side, defense they can't talk to me. You know, um, but but base running they can't talk to me either. You know, but offensively, yeah, criticize me, say whatever you want, because you're right. They're all right. And I'm not saying you, but I'm saying the people that are, that have whatever they got to say you know right i'm i'm with them i haven't performed um so that message that steve sent the other day he's just he's been an owner he's been a fan he's very he's been passionate he's just letting people know how he felt you know he's been very vocal um in in twitter the past year and a half two years that i actually the past year that i've been aware of who he is yeah um so Message to us? No, the message has been sent every single day. You know, we we haven't performed to our abilities. P is doing a great job, though. P is doing a great job. JD has performed. You know, guys the guys have performed. It's not we haven't had career years. You know, we haven't had the the above average years that we uh, typically you know have or the average year that we normally have. We might be slightly below some of the. I'm I'm below for sure, for the fact. You know, uh, it just it sucks. That's the only way I can can put any socks.
0: It's another edition of the Mets Podcast here on this Monday, August the 23rd, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkieMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkieMetsPodcast.com, no G, Mike Silva at TalkieMetsPodcast.com. Well... I think you'd all agree that uh, Mets Nation, all of us here on this Monday, could uh, afford a day off, uh, you know, maybe a well-deserved day off because uh, the Mets just completed a very frustrating, and that's what I would call frustrating, West Coast trip. They finish 2-5 uh, and five on the West Coast, and outside of really one game where it got close but they were out of it against the Giants... Very easily could have been the opposite, but that doesn't matter right now. If and buts and all that other stuff means absolutely nothing. That's not going to make anybody happy, and there's nothing I can tell you. You know, I've been coming on here now for the last couple of weeks and saying, look, things are bad, but situation is still within reach. The situation isn't bleak. Well, 61-63, and 63, seven games out. I know that as I come to you on this Monday night, the, uh, the Yankees are beating the Braves, so... Might be six out in the loss column by the end of the game. But regardless, 61-63, seven games out, not really a picture that I could paint for you right now where, hey, this is the scenario where the Mets could turn this around, even with Baez back, even with Lindor back. Uh, even if they get Jacob DeGrom back for a week, maybe a start or two, which just seems unlikely. I don't have that pathway realistically, I still believe, looking at the schedule, and I stand by what I said, I thought the Nats and the Marlins were going to decide this division. And I did not anticipate the Braves having the run, really the run that the Mets needed. The Mets needed this 7-8, you know, 9-game winning streak, something like that at some point, really to put the spread out. You know, they spread that division out at the trade deadline maybe the Braves don't make deals so many different things can happen but there's really nothing I can say right now that'll make you feel better I still think it's a team that's going to win between 81 and 83 maybe 84 85 games even if they got really crazy hot and they somehow won 86 to 88 games which would require a lot a lot of winning Uh, I don't think that you know the Braves have put themselves in a nice position now they're going to have their games against Tough competition. They got to go to Colorado, I believe. And right now they're playing the Yankees. Mets got to play the Yankees as well. Um, So it's not going to be the easy schedule that they've had over the last week, but they put themselves in a great spot. The exact spot that this Mets team could not put themselves in. And look, we have the reasons. You could call them excuses, but they're reasons. 61 players deep they've gone. It was a killer. I've talked about Thunderbolts all season. It was a killer to lose DeGrom. A killer. Uh, Emotionally, as much as it on the field, emotionally, it also, and we'll talk about that in a few, it impacted the trade deadline. It impacted the trade deadline in a big way. It could have been a huge deadline. uh, uh, An all-time, best deadline ever potentially for the Mets if they had not gotten that news about DeGrom. We also know they'll probably have Lindor back this week, but between underperformance and injury, they really haven't had the Lindor that they traded for for almost 40 to 50% of the season now. You'll have 10 more years to make up for it. And I thought, and we'll talk again about the tweeting, because I can't believe I actually have to talk about tweeting on a a program. Uh, I thought he was very erudite in the comments that you heard on the way in to this show. But, I mean, look, you know why this is happening. It's all about the offense. This is an offense that averages less runs than Baltimore, Kansas City, the Cubs, the Nets, Arizona. Tanking teams. I mean, they're hanging out with the Pirates in terms of runs at this time of the year. It's unconscionable. Why is that? Well, Conforto, McNeil, even to a certain degree, he's been hurt a lot, and his numbers are pretty good. But J.D. Davis haven't had good seasons. Uh, Dom Smith. Where my biggest concern, and I, I talked about this, even while he was having a great season throughout uh, the pandemic, shortened season, and yes, I didn't, I was focused more on free agency, and and I took for granted that this was a five runs per game offense. Even with Dom regressing, I felt that way, but I was wrong. Really, you know, you could go and say, this guy's having a bad year, this guy's having a bad year, this guy's having a bad year, Dom's no good, he's a mirage, whatever. But the real thing and the stats, talk up, go on FanGraphs who measures these things. They are not a disciplined offense at all. And that's where this all leads to trouble. Weeks ago against Miami, when they had some of those pitchers on the ropes in the games they lost, uh, they would continuously be ahead, you know, 1 0, 2 0, and swinging a pitch, either foul it off or making out. Instead of being ahead two zero three zero, and it changed the inning completely. Now I get that's Baez's game, and it's worked for him. But I saw Dom Smith do it, McNeil, J D, Pete, all these guys. You know, really, I got to give Pete a lot of credit, and I shouldn't really put him in there. He's put his money where his mouth is. He 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 made some statements a couple of weeks ago in Philadelphia. He's been nothing but but great. And Brandon Nimmo continues to be an elite run creator. And I still, I still see people say, oh, he's a fourth outfielder. It drives me crazy. Look at the numbers. You know, Nimble at the top of your lineup, is he an elite leadoff hitter? Forget the goofy smile and the walks, and maybe the too many hip, sticks his arm out to hit by pitch, and maybe he doesn't excite you somehow because whatever, what's dynamic? Everybody wants dynamic players. The guy produces. That's it. But they're not disciplined. That leads to trouble. Is that why they can't hit the fastball? I have no idea. Uh, Rojas has talked about adjustments uh, I, I You know, that's all the work on the on the back end that Rojas talks about. Uh, that's for them to figure out. Uh, I, one thing as an observation as an outsider that I believe might be part of the problem, and I always remember, uh, it was a big at-bat, I think it was Guillerme on deck at some point a few weeks ago, and the relief pitcher was coming in, and I saw Hugh Quattlebaum going through the heat map or whatever he's going through with him on the iPad on the on-deck circle. I, I just feel like... Once you hit the field, you got to put all that prep and all that stuff behind you and, and focus on the game. And and I personally, not that I'm a big leaguer, wouldn't want too much information. I mean, Keith Hernandez has talked about that. So, um, you know, I, I, maybe that's part of it. Maybe there's too much information going in their head. You know, even pitchers. Like, pitchers work on stuff in between starts, and they'll make adjustments on the mound, and maybe your pitching coach will go out there uh, and, and talk a little about it. But you have the game plan. You go out and execute it. You don't get too caught up in, uh, at least I feel, the the heat maps and the iPad and all that stuff. So uh, that's for them to figure out. Uh, they they will be making changes on offense. And remember, similar to last year, when the Mets went into this offseason with an awful pitching staff, an awful bullpen, and they fixed it, and they fixed it in a big way, uh, they can do it with the offense. And, and, and I don't think it's just about Bringing guys in, I think you have to figure out who's going to be a member of this offense and who you can count on uh, as you as you go forward. Um, it is an opportunity lost. Mets needed, like I said, one good run. One good run and this division was gonzo. Or they would have been in really good shape. Uh, just because the opportunity of the division is lost doesn't mean they should not go out there and continue to win. It is critically important for this team to play this thing out, and win as many games as possible. I don't want to hear about tanking. Oh, they have the 11th pick. If they fall enough forward, they're have back-to-back picks. Look, you have no idea. I just talked last week about the Dodgers. Uh, uh, Bueller was uh, a 24th-round pick. Uh, excuse me, number 24 pick in the first round. You don't need to be in the top 10 to get a good player. You know what you need? You need to scout really well. You need to develop even better. And I think the Mets have done to a certain degree some of that. Yeah, look, they've they've had some highly touted prospects currently in the organization, and some in other cities right now. Uh, I think they could do better, and I know that everybody talks about tier two, and some of that's a little bit of that new marketing scam where you know the GM wants to get the tier two prospect because he wants to be the smart. Everybody wants to be the smartest guy in the room. You know, every scout wants to promote their guys. You know, every team wants to market. Now that's the new thing. Let's market tier two prospects so I can hold on to my A guys in a trade. I mean, that's all that is. We start with the Yankees when they made deals. Um, but, you know, they don't need to tank in order to make this a successful season. Winning and establishing the winning base, and even if that's 81 wins, 82 wins, whatever, um, it's important because, first of all, it's important for the guys in the clubhouse. They have pride, and there are guys playing for jobs. It's also for Rojas. Look, and I'll get to Rojas in a minute, but um, a good manager tries to push his team to the end to win as many games as possible now if you really want to tank you, you, you can't trade guys but you could sit a bunch of guys put them out for the year and put out a bad lineup and know that even if these guys are playing hard they're gonna you know lose but kind of what the nationals are doing basically training on the job or learning about these guys on the job not playing to win uh but that's not what the mets are at that's not what i believe this organization's at and and the proof of that is zach scott saying hey look even if Degrom doesn't uh, the race, they're gonna they're gonna have Degrom pitch if he can before the end of the year. Now you heard coming in the commentary. I mean, could you believe this? We're making out about tweets, like tweets from the owner. Other than good Twitter debate, good WFAN radio debate, uh, filling up some time on the Zoom or these pregame scrums in the feet on the field. Uh, we're talking about tweets. Uh, Let me make this clear to anybody, and if you don't believe this, listen to me closely. Tweets and the owner tweeting and the messages and the tweets are all for the fans and the media. Okay, Players don't need Steve Cohen to tweet to know that they're struggling. You heard what Francisco Lordendor has to say. It's the same thing as the crowd that doesn't like Rojas' postgame comments because... He's not doing the therapy or giving them the the uh, meat that they need to feel better. They're mad after the game. The fans, Uh, they want to hear Rojas say the same stupid things that they say. This guy stings. Sit this guy. They better go out there and play hard tomorrow. They better go out there and win tomorrow. That's not how you manage a ball club. You sound like a fool. You know, you you think Joe Benigno, that the you know, former WFAN host, that kind of ranting and raving? You think a manager does that in the clubhouse? You think that they'll ever play for that manager again? Now, Rojas is an entertaining and a competent. Is, is, excuse me, Rojas is a competent guy. That's a baseball guy. That's focused on the process, and that comes out in his post game. That's what he knows. That's what he's there for. He's not entertaining. Remember when Jerry Manuel was an entertaining manager in the post game? Everybody loved the Mets. Even promoted. His post-game press conferences. He was an awful in-game manager. He turned out to be a, a bad manager on many levels. Oh, but he, he entertained us for a little bit. Got fired. Is that what you want? You want him to put on the Bozo the Clown suit, Rojas? Um, you know, maybe he has to learn to throw some meat to the media and entertain him a little bit. You know, Terry Collins is known for a couple of goofy rants throughout his tenure. Fake tough guy rants. I saw through it. I thought they were phony. The media ate them up. Uh, that's not who Rojas is. Bef- really important to hear this. Uh, I was listening to a podcast, uh, and I can't remember the name. It's Chris Russo, the top teams that didn't win in baseball. And they were talking about the 94 Expos, and I believe it was Ken Hill talking about Felipe Alou. Now, I'm not bringing this up because it's Rojas's family. It- it's just a coincidence. I was just listening to the- earlier today. But Ken Hill said the reason they really played for Rojas and respected him was that he was a good communicator, he had an outstanding knowledge of baseball, and he put guys in positions where they were successful. That's the key. Putting guys in positions where they could be successful, along with communicating and knowing the game and gaining that respect. From what we've heard, Luis Rojas is all that. And he communicates and he works with the front office on the game plan and using their input into putting guys in a position to be successful. I think he's really respectful and, and interacts with the media and respectfully. He may not be entertaining. He may be boring because he's talking about the process and the work. That's what he could control. Uh, Brett Boone has a podcast, and he was even talking about how when he talks to his brother Aaron, you know, he keeps telling remember, you can't control what goes on in the field. Luis Ross can't make these guys hit. Steve Cohen can't tweet his way into these guys hitting. They can't hit a fastball. There is nothing anybody could do. Not Chili Davis, not Hugh Quattlebaum, not Steve Cohen, not Luis Rojas. Either they're good enough to get it done or they're not. And right now, they are not good enough. They lost a number of one-run games. Granted, against the world champions and a veteran team that's playing probably a little bit over their heads at this point in their careers, but has a ton of experience and a couple World Series under their belt as well. Two teams that have everything that the Mets want to be but are not yet. So all I can say is, and they got three more games against these two guys, soak it in Mets, soak it in fans, look at these teams. More the Dodgers than the Giants, but the Giants have some components that the Mets could really afford to learn from. That's your benchmark, and you're not there yet. You're not far. You're competing. You're not getting blown out, and they're not playing down to you. These teams want to beat you seems like ever since the Dodgers lost that championship series in 2015, they've been nothing but beating the Mets. So, you know, spare me. I mean, we talked. I mean, they're even asking Lindor about the tweet. And he said to them, what, to me or the, to, the, to us or the fans? Like, he's looking at the reporter. You know, and Mike Puma's been on the show. And, you know, sometimes Mike could annoy me. But, he's, you know, he's done this a long time. And he was kind enough to be on the show. So I'm always going to be appreciative of that. But come on, Mike. You know, I know you're trying to generate some some copy here and some audio quote but do you really think these guys do you think when rojas goes on zoom and says something about work and this you know that it sounds like he's absolving them you think that that's how he communicates with his team you think they all say well let's go around the zoom and listen to coach rojas what he has to say he's a good manager he brings them in his office and he talks to them when they get benched they know why when they get dropped in the order they know why and they don't, may not like it, but they respect it. And it goes back to what I told you, what Ken Hill said. you got to communicate with these guys. you got to have a good knowledge of the game. A game that they, they know what you're doing. And you put guys in positions to win. And at that point, it's up to them to get it done. Bruce Boche, a name that I've seen fans throw out. Oh, we got to go out and get Bruce Boche. I think seven of his first nine seasons were losing seasons. Granted, he had a pennant in one of those winning seasons, but still. You know... Sometimes we have to like take a step back. You know, they want Steinbrenner. They want that chaos and they want chaos with losing. Believe me, the media's game is clear with this Mets team. They want Cohen to be a maniac and fail and be Steinbrenner in the 80s. Not the 90s. They have what they feel is their team that'll be in the playoffs. They don't want the Mets to be that. It's been like that and they covered the Mets really well from November till Jared Porter and then it went away. They gave them it small because it fit what they were looking to do right then and there. So let's not read into tweets. I don't want to hear about Zoom. And you know what? You don't like the fact that Rojas talks about the process work? That's his job. That's his job. What do you think he's here for? Do therapy on you? Just to give the, you know, to, to be an extension to fans? He doesn't care about you. It's not... Listen, he worries. listens to you. He listens to me. He'll be sitting in the stands next to us. Out of a job. You want to just... Every two years when you don't get what you want, you want to stop firing managers? Who are you going to go out and get? Buck Shawwater? Come on. You got a manager that grew up in the organization, has been here a long time, has great lineage... And you want to just throw them away because they play badly against the Dodgers and the Giants. And oh, by the way, they pretty much have been a 500 team when they've gone 61 players deep and had an offense that, as this Mets offense, the Mets have not had as bad an offense. Now, they'll probably wind up, depending on how the offense perks up, somewhere in the same run scored as the 2013-2014 teams. Not banner years, but they're on pace to be like, The worst Mets offensive team since 1982. I think it's about 609 runs they're on pace for. Different era in baseball. Much different era. Much different scoring environment. So, you know, that's where we're at right now. And, uh, you know, we'll see see where this goes. But they've got to play to the end. Obviously, you know, winning the division and creating pathways, we ain't going to do that today. My thing is this I I want to see who wants to be here and who's gonna keep playing and that will win them as many games as possible and if that gets them back into this somehow the Braves which will come back down to earth if that gets them back into this then so be it if it doesn't and the Braves wind up winning 95 games the Mets you know normalize and win between 83 and 85 and finish 10 out then you know so be it. But I want to see who wants to be part of this. I know Nimmo does. I know Pete does. I need to see some others. Anyway, let's take a quick break. One other guy that is starting to show us that he's a solution going forward is Marcus Stroman. I know he's polarizing. I know you guys don't always like him. But he's showing me a lot. We'll talk about that and more right after this.
3: Louie, well, you know, obviously you've been without the Grom for well over a month. And that's a big hit. But when you look at Strowman's numbers and his demeanor on the mound and, you know, stopping a losing streak today, has he been an ace-like pitcher for you this year?
2: Yeah, he's he's been outstanding. He's leading the team in wins, I think, right? And he's got all the innings. Um, as a missed a start. Uh, and he's able to go out there and give us six, which is huge for our bullpen. Um, bullpen's been overused. And then before a day off, he gives us six where he can use three guys. And now everyone or majority gets the rest on the day with the day off tomorrow, a little extra. So he's been outstanding for us. Uh, I don't think we've hit enough behind the way he's pitched. That's why his ERA shows like that, and he's got a basically a losing record. It's almost not fair, uh, but he's, he's pitched like an ace. You know, it's, all pitches working, throw strikes, uh, induces contact, has good defense behind him. His energy is contagious, as you guys see all the time on the, out on the field. So he's been very valuable, and he's one of the guys that that's
0: kept us afloat. We're back, and Marcus Stroman. So Marcus Stroman always is one of those more polarizing names because he was acquired controversially because God forbid in 2019 when you know the Mets actually, even though they may have been around 500, they were within striking distance of the wild card. We have a, a whole thing about tanking. You know now the media's outraged about tanking. They helped create tanking, but they're outraged about tanking now. You see this, you know, because of what's going on and about because the CBA is now uh, up, so now tanking's is an issue. But when the Mets went for it in 2019, they got criticized for giving up Simeon Woods Richardson, who was an 18-year-old, and Anthony K. because for some reason Anthony K. was going to be Cy Young, and he's never amounted to anything. And the other kid's got a six year old and has already been traded from the Blue Jays. Uh, for Marcus Stroman, an established pitcher who had a couple of years of control left, a New York guy, and uh, a guy who had a little bit of flair. So we got they got criticized for that. Now, Stroman opted out. Look, I was as big a critic about the opt-out. Not because that was his right. I have no problem. I just wish he would have been honest. Look, he used COVID as an excuse. The guy had an injury. Knew he was risking coming back and hurting himself. And he didn't want to risk uh, a major injury and hurt a payday. So he wound up getting a one-year qualifying offer. And away you go. He's back here. And now he's basically pitched himself into a big contract. Barring some injury... Or some unforeseen drop off over the last six weeks of the season, and if you look at Strowman, he's really a guy that lends himself to a long term deal. My biggest thing, and I've always said that with pitchers, is that you don't you only really want to go three years because of health and because of validity in their uh, their performance due to health, age, or whatever. And Strowman is a guy, and well, first let me back up. If you thought he wasn't a big-game pitcher, he's proved that to you this year. You know, Cincinnati, that day game when they needed the bullpen. uh, On this road trip, he pitched two outstanding games on the road against big-time offenses in games they needed. They lost one. That wasn't his fault. The offense didn't support him. Yesterday, in L.A., the offense supported him. I mean, that's the crazy thing. If this offense tacked on like they did yesterday in more games... It would be a totally different season. Just tacking on. I'm not saying the games that they lost scored. Tacking on and wins, so much better. So Strowman show you could pitch big. Now, you're looking at a guy that doesn't necessarily need to strike guys out. I understand they need a good defense behind him, but he's the guy with with four pitches. Um, he doesn't need to overpower you to uh, to make it happen. He knows how to go up and down, in and out. Yeah, at times he's a little bit hittable when he's off, but I always feel he's kept them in the game. Maybe once or twice he's been totally off, but he's kept them in the game. And the games they've lost when I think they're like 1-9 when he doesn't go 5 innings, uh, a lot of that had to do with either it was a doubleheader, they had to pull him out, or... You know, for some reason they 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 felt he didn't have it and they yanked him quick. The only criticism I can give about Stroman is for him to get the big money. You got to start pushing him to that seventh inning. He's more of a five six inning guy, more of a six inning guy. It seems like the Mets once he hits about ninety to ninety five pitches, that's it. They must have some numbers that say he's not that effective after. So that smells more of a number three, and that may impact him in the market. But if I'm Stroman, I'm pushing. To get that extra, seven, you know, that seventh inning. Right now, he's a six innings, two runs guy. You make him a seven inning, three run guy. Seven inning, two run guy. More like a seven inning, three run guy. Uh, that's valuable. You now only have to hand over six outs of the bullpen. And I know there are guys laughing, you know, old time baseball fans saying, "Hey, you know, you know, seven innings. What's so big about that?" Look, the days of workhorses going nine innings, those ain't coming back. Look, the Grom is probably at least in the near term. Gonna be a five six inning guy. That might be as he gets north of thirty in the, in the mid thirties. They they and with the stress he's put with all those sliders, who the hell knows what's wrong with him? Because we still haven't gotten any real clarity other than he's got inflammation. There's no structural damage. Uh, he may be a five six inning guy, and they may push him occasionally depending on how uh, heavy the you know stressful the innings are in certain games. But, um, you know, he's a 5'6 a guy. I mean, the, you're going to need bullpens and, and deep bullpens and good bullpens. We talk about ace squad, beef squad. So it's not just Stroman. That's a value to that. And if you look at the Mets, if they're going to compete and contend next year and, and in the near term, which I believe they intend to, there's no rebuild going on here. They're going to need some veteran starters who know how to pitch and can be counted on. And Stroman's one of them. He's not an ace. And he might not even be a number two. But he's certainly number three, and I think he could give you top-of-the-rotation performances fairly consistently. He doesn't rely on just one pitch. He doesn't rely on velocity. He seems to be very in tune with his body and keeping it healthy. I know we had that one flare-up earlier this year. Uh, you know, Maybe he's got a little bit too much bravado and hot dog and mustard for your take. You know what? Do I love the trash talk? No. Do I love the pointing at the glove? Look, the NBA, they do this all the time. They did this back in the 90s. Trash talk was invented by the NBA. Look at the nonsense they do in the NFL. They're trying to curb it. I don't care for it. You think I don't even like how the Mets do the horse, these home run celebrations with the hats and the gold chains. I think it's Bush League. It's amateur. It's a little league nonsense. Act like you've been there. You know, I don't mind the high fives and the, you know, maybe some of the gyrations when they, you know, go to the on deck circle. When they. When they start taking out props, it drives me crazy. But that's the game we live in. It's a different generation. And the worst thing you can say about Strowman is that he's a little bit edgy with the media because he doesn't like the way that they try to paint a certain narrative and that he likes to brag about himself and retweet his highlights. Well, not the first Instagram athlete in this generation, and he won't be the last. And if you want to... Again, I'll always tell you this. If, you, if you're if you only going to sign players who are perfectly the kind of player that you like, you're never going to be able to build a 25-man championship team. You're never going to be able to do that. Showman's not my perfect guy. But he doesn't really do it. He's harmless. And he's a New York guy. He knows the market. I love when people say he wants to go play for the Yankees. There's never been any proof of that. You know, it was Brian Cashman who says he couldn't even make their rotation. He could have helped them quite a bit, I think, You know, when they were starting bullpen games in the playoffs. What would Strowman get in an open market? Again, assuming the performance you see now, even though his peripherals, because he doesn't strike a lot of guys out, lend themselves to a bit higher ERA than what he's got now. I mean, he's, When it comes to uh, value, he's top 20 in all of baseball. You know, and he for a while there going into before the pandemic season, I think he was top fifteen in over a period of two or three years. Um, I saw a comp, and the comp that I see is you Darvish. He's gonna get twenty million dollars a year. That's what you darvish is got a little bit more. I think you darvish is six years, 122 million, so it's slightly more. He's very similar in terms of performance. He falls into that same value equation, and by the way. He's already worth more than twenty million dollars this year, according to Fangraphs. He was worth between the Blue Jays and the Mets in twenty nineteen. His performance thirty million dollars. He's going to ask between twenty and twenty five million a year. I can see uh, the Mets wishing they could do three years plus an option. I think it's going to take four years plus an option, maybe a guaranteed fifth year, depending on if there's a team out there that says, "Hey, um, you know, I'm willing to bring Stroman in as a as a." rotation piece because i feel i'm close to winning and i need rotation help uh it's going to take a probably a five year 100 four year 80 something like that and that's the worth the mets right now don't have enough pitching coming up now i know tyler mcgill has been a great surprise and i think he's earned the right to continue to pitch and i, I wouldn't hand him a rotation spot going into 2021 but he certainly would be part of that i'm not going to get too much into 2020 excuse me 2022 not 2021 I don't want to start getting into postmortem because it's not the time to do that. I know that you guys want to do that. I'm still focused on baseball and now and this team winning, but I think it's important to talk about Marcus Stroman as a member of this team going forward and look, forget the controversies this week, you know, Tim Healy criticizing him for retweeting himself after the game. I don't care about his Instagram, I don't care about his bravado. You know, he likes to trash talk, you know, if it's a problem somebody's going to clock him and then he'll learn. You know, you, you, you execute and you perform. You can say whatever you want, as you know, regardless of whether it bothers you or not. So to me, I think the more I see a Strowman, especially this road trip, he showed me a lot. He showed me a lot about how he pitched against these two teams, kept the Mets in the game, and really, uh, I mean, the pitching has been and the defense has not been the problem, but he really stepped up in a big way, and I think he deserves to be looked at. And I think you got to start looking at this is a guy that if he's going to stay, he's going to be about $20 million a year. That's the contract. Look at you Darvish's contract. Very much a template. I bet. You know, Patrick Corbin, guys like that. Corbin got a little bit more. Very much like that. And you got to start looking at pitchers. You got to evaluate them on the durability, their pitchability. You know, can they get hitters out when they don't have their best stuff? And do they have to throw a 98 or a hundred to get people out? And, and if they, fall off a little bit, do they have the moxie and the intelligence to make up for diminished stuff with their repertoire? I think Strowman can do that, which is more than I could say for Zach Wheeler. If Zach Wheeler loses his velocity, he's going to be a bad pitcher. Could be the same for DeGrom, although DeGrom's a smart guy. He might be able to figure out because he's got pitches that he doesn't even throw now like a curveball. So, that's my feeling on uh, Strowman. I think that's an early... 2022 conversation i thought it was important to have because of his performance over the course of the west coast trip all right let's take a quick break when i come back crazy rumor from the trade deadline almost a month later mets almost not only got javi baez but chris bryant and craig kimbrell and even trevor williams as a throw in what does that say about the mets going forward a lot of good if that rumor is even 50 percent true a lot of good that rumor And a lot of good signs that is for the Mets going forward. We'll be back with that and more right after this.
4: In your reporting on deadline day, uh, before deadline day and since how close were the Mets to getting Bryant instead of Baez? And what was the price tag? Well, I have some new information on this today at the behest of our fine producers who, who inspired me to ask around. So according to some league sources with direct knowledge of these talks, uh, Bryant was never a possibility for the Mets, a real possibility, because the Cubs were looking for a couple of second-tier prospects, which they got from the Giants. A couple guys in the slightly lower end of their top 10 list. The Mets were never able to get the Cubs to name a player, to name the price for Bryant, because the Cubs just didn't like the depth of the Mets' farm system. The Cubs never thought that Bryant... Uh, would be a match. Bryant trade would be a match with the Mets. So it was a complete non-starter and they never exchanged names at the trade deadline. However, uh, the Mets did, I was told, uh, try to interest the Cubs in a mega deal involving Bryant, Baez, Craig Kimbrell, and Trevor Williams that would have involved uh, moving top Mets prospects. That died on the vine as well. So the Mets had no chance of getting Bryant over Baez. uh, So unfortunately, it can't be like a criticism of them like well you got this guy and he's on the il and this guy's hitting home runs against us for the mets front office not that simple that that was a mega deal though the one that you just described Would've i been. was very much on vacation on the trade deadline i made a i, I might have find uh, found some wi-fi for that one that that is a big trade
0: all right so you just heard the comments from andy martino and I think Ken Rosenthal has followed up with some reporting over at the Athletic as well that the Mets weren't just trying to get Javi Baez. They were trying to get Javi Baez and Chris Bryan and potentially Craig, Craig Kimbrell and have Trevor Williams as a throw and really switch take take a big piece of the Cubs and whatever good the Cubs had, bring it to the Mets and and kind of make this this you know, super offense. My guess is um, it was Pete Crow Armstrong, it was another top prospect, it had to be in the Matthew Allen, baby uh, Alvarez, uh, class. You know, maybe Allen. Even though he's got TJ surgery, he's a pitcher. Maybe the Cubs would take him. And if you we were talking about a major leaguer, it had to either be McNeil or JD Davis. I would say maybe Dom, but you know, Dom's been around. I mean, with more control, that would be McNeil and JD Davis, uh, potentially. And um, that's kind of where I feel that deal, if that was happening. And I I, I wouldn't want to give up McNeil, but really, if you're going for it, and you're getting Chris Bryant, and actually, I like McNeil in some ways better than Baez, the old McNeil, not the McNeil that you have now that seems to be kind of playing more as a backup. But anyway, be that as it may, what does that say? What does that deal say about the Mets going forward? And I know that there's a couple of ways that fans have looked at it. Um, I know there's some criticism, the fact that they gave up Pete Crow Armstrong, who most of you wouldn't know if you fell on top of him at the supermarket. Uh, who's had, what, seven at-bats in the organization uh, for Baez. And even though I'm kind of lukewarm on Baez, he's a guy that clearly has energy and can win games, but he's going to frustrate you. I think that's why a long-term contract, especially in the in the realm of what Lindor got, not something I would do. And I don't think the Mets would do it for him if they were going to give another big contract out like that. But... Um, You know, the Mets went for it. They had had to do something. They're in a market where it's as important to show flash and anecdotal uh, uh, improvement, Uh, not just nuts and bolts baseball trades. And I don't think you could do the anecdotal big move, the emotional big move, as long as it doesn't harm you too much. And I don't think Pete Armstrong is going to harm them too much. Just like it's money with Lindor. The sensible thing is what I said to do. Let Lindor play out the year, and then you probably get a discount based on his performance. You know, they wanted it. they want to lock this guy up. They've now committed to this guy, and away you go. But if the Mets were able to, and it sounds like the Cubs were not the ones that wanted to do it, second-tier prospects, whatever, Um, it sounds like they it was the Cubs that were shying away from doing something like that, probably thinking that why would you put all your eggs in one team's basket when you could piece all these guys off? To different teams and probably get an overall better package, and I think the Cubs are right in doing that. But it showed you the Mets are not afraid to be bold; they're not afraid of spending money. You would probably you'd be under tremendous amount of pressure to resign, you know, at least one of those guys. Bryant probably would be the guy you go after, but you know, you give all you know, Kimbrel's still in the control, but you need to sign either Baez or Bryant. You can't just give them away for six weeks, eight weeks, whatever. They're not afraid of trading prospects, and that's a beautiful thing because. That shows you this is a team that's ready to go for it and really put their chips to the center of the table. One of the biggest things that Brody Van Wagenen brought to this team when he came in, as much as you guys, a lot of you dislike him. And I know he made mistakes. And maybe he was uh, miscast as the GM. But I think the biggest, two big things. One, he knew how to wheel and deal. And the Mets needed that under the Wilpon financial constraints. And he, number two, he thought big. Most importantly, he thought big. And I think this organization, even under Sandy, part one, and, and they haven't really thought big since the Omar Manaya days. And maybe Omar took it too far. But you know what? When Omar came in, this team was boring. They were about as far away from the Yankees as possible. And within two years, they were a game away from the World Series. Within two years, going after Beltron, who nobody thought the Mets would be able to get, bringing in Delgado. Of course, they had Wright and Reyes already, those young uh, cornerstone players. They must have some talent. Maybe you don't feel they're Wright and Reyes, but I'll tell you, Pete Alonso's pretty good, and uh, you got some kids down in the in the minor leagues that are not too far away, some of them, that, that may be pretty good too. But you need that big move, big game, big game fishing that goes out there. And you could do it without destroying your farm system and being responsible. Now, maybe a deal like this would have done much more harm to the farm system than some of you guys are comfortable with, but you don't put penance up for best farm system. And you could develop and draft more prospects. You know, they're not stagnant. And yeah, once in a while you trade away a guy and it hurts because five years later you're like, eh, I can really use that guy, he was ours. Did you win a championship? How entertaining was 99 two thousand? How entertaining was 2015? How entertaining was 2006? That's what you want over a course of many, many years. Some of you Mets fans don't remember the 80s. The Mets were fun every year. And then back then, there was no wild card. So they made the postseason twice. But there was always that hope. Big game fishing. Even Steve Phillips, to a certain degree. I mean, he completed a trade for Ken Griffey Jr., just Ken Griffey Jr. didn't want to play here. He thought big. I remember that deal. He didn't, I didn't like it when I heard it. I think it was Sedeño and Benitez. Um, I can't remember if Alfonso. I don't think Alfonso was part of it. But it was a, a deal that would require the Mets to... You know, they robbed a lot of Peter to pay Paul, but it was Ken Griffey Jr. And teaming up with Piazza. They thought big. And that's not. that was something that was hard to do under Wilpon ownership. For a variety of reasons. For basically money... But they weren't that kinda ownership group. I think this guy now, you know, it's not just about tweets with him. I, I think he wants to play in the deep end of the pool. I know he wants to attract Wall Street guys to the ballpark. You already see some crypto ads during the game. It's gonna be a different Mets environment to even and I saw Joel Sherman's article. To even say it's like Will Pond. That's just so myopic. This pseudo what the, even if it's fifty percent fake. The reporting. They got bad information, which I don't think Martino would go on air with something that wasn't pretty credible. I mean, I know some people don't like him, but that's not who he is. He doesn't want to put his damage his reputation. This should tell you all you need to know about how exciting this could be. Yes, they're going to make mistakes. This is beyond disappointing what's going on right now. But it's not hopeless. If... If, if Jeff Wilpon was still in charge, the Wilpons were still in charge, I'd have a different show right now. I'd be very upset. I'd feel, where do you go from here? And I might, I might even be saying it might be time to rebuild because that's the only pathway under this ownership to success with young, cost-effective talent supplemented by big names. Go back to 2010 again, I would say. That's not what this is. They don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, they're going to maybe have to take a step back here and there. You, know, you may regret that Lindor contract. If they go out and sign somebody else this offseason to a big-time, long-term contract, you may have both those guys on the back end of their uh, careers. But you worry about that then, and you figure it out then. You're always going to have peaks and valleys. But if you have cash flow, and you have big thinkers and, and forward thinkers and guys that could go out there and supplement the roster, and they've done a great job of that this year, supplementing the roster with uh, you know guys like VR and Aaron Loop. And even the Kevin Pollard has done a nice job. You know, you probably asked a little bit more of the bench mob than they they, they really should be giving. You know, the point was for these guys to play maybe seven to ten days, two weeks, not to be, you know, everyday players like they've been asked to do because Lindor's been out, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So feel good. Like I said, I know you haven't felt good about this team for three weeks, and it's frustrating. And this might be the most frustrating I've— period of baseball since the last couple of weeks of 2007 really really 2007 was the last couple of weeks of frustrating maybe the last three weeks of the season it was pretty good season up till then it was frustrating at times because you felt they they didn't put the division away but this has been frustrating because they had a good thing and it spiraled and while it was spiraling It wasn't like they were out of games. They just couldn't get anything done. They couldn't get the big hit. I mean, they lose these games to the Dodgers. Like, oh, if they only had gotten one hit. It's not like they didn't have opportunities. All year they haven't been able to execute. So now they got to go out and they got to maintain what they have on pitching. Identify who the solutions are on offense. And then see what they can do with the rest. I mean, I don't think you go out. I mean, Lindor's going to be here. Pete's going to be here. I think Nimmo's going to be here. Other than that, you know, it'd be interesting. I'd like to see McNeil stick around. I still don't want to give up on him. But Dom, JD, Conforto, I mean, maybe he's back on a one-year deal. We'll see. I know he's hit a lot better the last couple of weeks. But, you know, who's your Robin to Lindor's Batman? Are you going to sign him this offseason? Be careful. If you give the wrong guy the money, you're stuck with him. And uh, you know, with the Lindor contract, it's pretty much now you gotta almost be perfect on who his counterpart is. And, you know, look, Lindor I've been critical of, but stood up took accountability. He was about as much of a man in those comments earlier today as you could possibly ask for. Couldn't ask for more than that. He's basically said, I haven't performed. But be excited. These are the kind of rumors that should make you say, Wow, this offseason's gonna be fascinating. Between the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, Steve Cohen now potentially with a new president of baseball operations, a full off season to actually formulate a, a roster plan and move forward with the next phase of his refacing the Mets. It'll be fascinating. And it's not about tweets. And it's not about fake Steinbriner redux or media nonsense. It's really about baseball. You know, I really believe it's about baseball. Sure, it's about marketing and headlines. He's going to want that too. But you could do that and not sacrifice baseball. There's ways of doing both. Yankees have been able to do it for a long time. Even before the age of analytics when George was still in his late prime. For sure. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, final thoughts. I want to thank everybody for joining me today. And I know I haven't had a guest in a couple of weeks, and and really uh, this week. And I'd love to have brought somebody on, but between the hurricane, I wasn't sure the power situation. And thankfully, and I'm sure wherever you are, hopefully you turned out okay. Uh, looks like there was you know some damage in some areas that were harmed, but. Out here in Long Island, we got a, a whole lot of bluster and nothing. You know, the hurricane was kind of like the media. You know, they tell you a lot of things, and then you look at the reality, you're like, this doesn't match up, thankfully. In that situation, thankfully. So hopefully you're okay. Um, so I'm trying to get back into that. I'm working on a couple of cool guests. I know Jerry Kuzman's number is going to be retired next weekend, so we're definitely going to dive into the Kuzman number retiree and really look back at his career. I think that's important. And it'll be interesting as we go forward. You know, the Mets have a game against the Giants, and then they're starting to play a little bit of a softer schedule. You know, can they inch back, um, you know, assuming that they maybe pick up some ground with the Yankees playing the Braves? You know, you inch back, and the 7 is bad. But if you inch it more towards 4 and less towards 10, I mean, you know, four or five games with a month left of baseball going into Labor Day, not impossible. They have three with the Braves. It's asking a lot. They have to go on a run. They have to do what they did in 2016 when they got into a similar situation. Just go on a run and win almost every day. And And I think this team is better than that team. I think the bullpen is better. Um, I think the rotation is, is is just as good, if not better. And you would think the offense would be better, but it's not. And, and that's a whole other story. We talked about that ad nauseum throughout this show. So, anyway want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, you can check me out all the time at com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at com, No G, Mike Silva at com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody.